I would like to encourage all of you to open your Bibles to Psalm 95. And if you don't have your Bibles, there are some provided in the pews there in front of you. You can grab one of those. But uh, it's going to be important maybe here in a minute that you are open to that particular psalm. But before we kind of begin our lesson this morning, do want to remind everybody that there will be a very brief but important VBS meeting uh, right down front after services. Uh, if you can help per plan and participate in, in our vacation Bible school, Carla and some of the others want to get with you and uh, see uh, and confirm what direction we're going and things that need to be uh, taken care of and responsibilities that need to be uh, handed out. So if you can help with Vacation Bible School this year, if you would, please meet down front uh, right, after, uh, right after services. You know, worship has always been important to God. Uh, from Cain and Abel coming and offering sacrifices to Noah offering a sacrifice as soon as they got off the ark, to Abraham all along the way in which he journeyed around, he offered sacrifices, to Israel where God told the people, I want you to build a tabernacle and worship in this particular way. And then later on, I want you to build a temple and I want you to worship in this particular way. And then in the New Testament, Jesus in talking to the woman at the well said that God wants those who would worship in spirit and in truth. And so we understand and we know that worship is important. And many of the psalms that we read are psalms that are calls to worship. And none more expressive, I don't think, perhaps in the 95th psalm. So if you have your Bibles open there, we'll read this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me. Though they have seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said they are the people whose hearts go astray. And they know not my ways. So I declared on an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. There is a a song made from the first part of of this psalm. that, uh, That the young people sing. It's not in our songbook. And I didn't even think about doing it until the last minute. So I don't have the words for the screen, but that's okay. Keep your Bibles open to Psalm 95. Because the words come straight from Psalm 95 verses 1 through 5. Now, if you're not using the New International Version, it may be a little different. 
And I noticed that we had a big group of young people today, so that also helped me decide that we're going to try this out. But I want us to sing that song, and if you don't know it, you can mouth the words, because the words are right there in front of you, kind of like I told you, okay? Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, he made it and his hand formed the dry land. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, he made it and his hands formed the dry land. I love that song, and for years around my house, that was called the bubblegum song. And it was called the bubblegum song because when Brittany was really little, you know, she'd come to the Devos and things like that, and and she'd hear some of the songs, and we'd be in the car, and we'd say, you know, let's sing a song, song? and she'd say, I want to sing the bubblegum song. And I'm like, bubblegum song? What are you talking about? Well, it's because that part where it says, uh, for the Lord is the great God, the great king of bubble gods. <laughs> she thought that was saying bubble gum or bubble gods or whatever. I don't know. But uh, she didn't quite, didn't quite get it right then. But you know, this uh, psalm tells us and reminds us that worship is twofold. That worship is, in fact, personal and individual. And we understand that for a majority of the time in our lives, we spend that in individual worship to God. We know, especially in the New Testament, where it talks about the fact that our lives, our very lives every day is worship to God. That our bodies are a living sacrifice. That what we say and what we do is a part of our everyday worship to God. But then there is also that communitive aspect that idea where we come together as God's people come together as his children and combine our voices and become combine our hearts and combine our thoughts as we worship God in public as we worship God in fellowship And you know, as we come and we worship and we see from this particular psalm, that when we come to worship, there are so many different emotions that are involved in our worship to God. It's just not linear. It's just not singular. It reminds me, and this is kind of a microcosm, I guess. It reminds me of when we come and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Depending on my mindset at that particular time. Depending on what somebody may say before we begin the Lord's Supper. You know, it may be a time of thanksgiving. It may be a time of remembering back to what Jesus went through. It may be a time of joy. It may be a time of looking forward to the promises made that have been sealed because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. So many different emotions And some maybe even at the same time. 
And so I wanted this morning to think about some of the emotions that are expressed in Psalm 95. And some of the emotions that we have as we come together and share in our worship to God. The first emotion we see is that we come and we worship joyfully. Verse 1, he says very plainly, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Now, we don't normally think about shouting when it comes to worship. Yeah, that's normally not what kind of comes into our mind as we come here collectively. But we certainly ought to be filled with joy. Christianity is a religion of joy. Christianity has everything to do with being filled with joy. You remember when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Number two, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy. Paul, perhaps more than any of the other writers in the New Testament, talks about joy. You remember how he reminded the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you forgot, or in case you didn't think I was serious, or in case you weren't sure about it, I'll say it again, rejoice. God wants us to be joyful people. You know, there is a sense in the world out there that Christianity is a doom and gloom religion. That it is all about rules and it is all about can't do this and all about trying to stifle joy and happiness in people's lives. I wonder where the world gets that. Could it be possible that as we go out into the world, that we portray that attitude to the world out there? That we don't have a sense of joy? They don't see that? They don't see the joy that comes from being God's people, from being forgiven by God. They don't see that joy in our lives. Shame on us if that's true. We ought to be the most joyful people of all people in all the world. There is joy in worshiping the creator of the universe. There is joy in our salvation. There is joy in knowing that God is our rock. There is joy in the hope that we have in eternal life. There is joy in the fellowship that we have as a family of believers. You know, so many of the Psalms that we have already discussed on, on, in, on Sunday morning since we've kind of been doing this. And I almost feel bad about it because so many of them we've been looking at kind of a, a negative attitude, how to deal with a negative attitude. And some of the Psalms have to do with being confused and being uh, not understanding and, and, and uh, being frustrated with God and, and things like that. But the overriding majority of the Psalms have to do with coming and worshiping God and expressing our joy to him. And yes, there are going to be those times when maybe we are frustrated or confused or whatever. But the majority of our time, the overriding amount of our time ought to be spent in joy for all that God has done for us. And as we come together as God's people, we ought to be filled with 
joy. I had a professor at Harding, and right now I cannot even remember his name. He was a, a much older gentleman at the time that I was uh, uh, there. Uh, and he was a little quirky, shall we say. And he was just a little different, but uh, uh, he loved going and watching Harding baseball. And where I was in the School of Biblical Studies, we overall, we stayed in one room the whole time. And it was on the second floor of the Bible building. And it overlooked the parking lot, the, the staff parking lot. And on Fridays, he would always come in in his suit and tie with his Harding baseball cap on. And he'd take it off for class, but he'd put it right back on to go. Because Friday, he was going to go to the baseball game as soon as class was over. And so this particular Friday, I don't know why, I was still hanging around. And I'm watching as he is walking across the parking lot. Now, I'm telling you, he had to be in his 80s. Some of you say, well, that's not old. And I understand that. It's getting younger all the time. But he was in his 80s. He's in his tie. He's in his suit. He's in his Harding baseball cap. He's walking across the parking lot. Nobody watching him. As far as he knows, not a single person is watching him. Now, oh, Jamie's not here. I need all our medical staff staying on, on call, all right? Because I'm going to attempt to do what this 80-year-old man did walking through the Harding parking lot on Friday afternoon with his Harding baseball cap on. Nobody watching him. He just walks around and <laughs> clicked his heels together and just went right on. Now that, oh my hip, no. That is joy. That is the joy that we ought to have as Christians. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. So our worship, first of all, we come and we worship joyfully. But secondly, he reminds us that we come and we worship thankfully. Do you have friends or acquaintances who the only time you hear from them is when they need something? You know, you know, as soon as the caller ID comes up on the phone, what do they want now? Because you never hear from them except when they need something. Are we ever like that with God? Is the only time we ever come to God is when we need something. When we are in trouble. He says, let us, for the Lord is, uh, no, back. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. And extol him with music and song. God, I believe, wants to just hear us thank him. You know how much that means to you. You know how much it means. And and we do things, do we not? We do things without expecting to be thanked. Without expecting anybody to notice. But when somebody does, we know what that makes us feel like. And God wants us to acknowledge what he has done for us. 
And he wants us to come to him with thanksgiving. Part of our worship is thanking God for all that he has done for us. Paul also reminded the Philippians not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God. God understands. God expects us to come to him with our request. God wants us to come to him with our needs. But he also wants us to be thankful for what has already been done. In a little bit, we're going to talk about the last part of that song, which, which we kind of wish didn't, wasn't there, sort of. It almost seems a little bit out of place. But he talks about the Israelites in the desert. One of their main complaints, one of God's main complaints about them is that they were not thankful for what he had done for them. They grumbled and complained all the time. Our worship as we come to worship God, a part of it ought to be our thankfulness for what he has done for us. I ought to be thankful for our hope, our salvation, our shelter, our strength. All that we have comes from God and we should approach him with gratitude. And as we come together to worship, It's an opportunity to whether we speak it or not with one another to share in worship, thankful to God for what he has done in each one of our lives. You know, we know a lot about each other. You know a lot about me. You know a lot about what God has done in my life. I know a lot about you. I know a lot about what God has done in your life. And we can we can share that and thank God for that collectively as we come here to worship and praise him. Thirdly, and I didn't know exactly how to put that, we worship God knowledgeably. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Our worship is not just emotional. Now, joy, that's an emotion, right? Thanksgiving, that's an emotion. But our worship is not just emotional. Our worship has to be based on our knowledge and our experience with God. You remember Paul is in Athens and he's beginning to speak to the Athenians and he says, I perceive that you are some very religious people. Because I was, I was walking around, I saw all the monuments to all your gods. And in fact, I even saw a monument to an unknown God. How can you worship what you do not know? How can you be filled with joy? How could you be filled with thanksgiving? How could you be filled with any kind of emotion? Real emotion. For something or someone That you have no knowledge of. The writer here reminds us. That God is not out there unattainable. He's not out there and we cannot draw near to him. We cannot understand him. I love the first word of this song. Come. God calls us to know him. God calls us 
to have a relationship with him. God has sacrificed everything so that we can know him. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 and also again in this song that we ought to know God simply by the creation. The mountains, the hills, the seas, all of that are his because he made them. Romans chapter 1, Paul says that the the heathens, the, the Gentiles were without excuse because God made known to them his existence. I know that as Christians, especially those of us who were brought up believing in God, we have a perspective. You know, we do. We have a perspective. And we come from that perspective. And I sympathize maybe for others who don't come from the same foundation, same background I do, and how maybe harder or more difficult it is to struggle with some of these things. But I got to tell you, I do not get it. I do not understand those who say there is no God. How? How can you look out at this world? How can you look out at creation? How can you look out at the uh, nature and, 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 and... the animal kingdom and, and the human body and, and all of these different things in the universe. How can you look out and say this just happened? Wow. What a coincidence. I just, I just don't get it. Now, I can understand if people look out and see and understand there must be, there must be a God But they don't know and they don't understand our God as we understand. I understand the Romans and their polytheism. The idea that, you know, there's one God for this and one God for the sea and one God. I understand where they could have come up with that. But they at least understood there had to be a supreme being. Something had to cause all of this. And we know about the one true God. And the longer we are Christians, and the more we study, the more we know about God, we will never, ever, ever understand everything about God. We will never know all there is to know about God. Now, some of you kind of may, may, you might want to disagree with me on this. Because I've, I've heard it said, you know, that when we get to heaven, we're going to know everything. Really. I don't think so. We're going to know a whole lot more than we know now. We're going to understand a whole lot more than we understand now. But we're still not going to know everything because even when we get to heaven, God is still God and we ain't. We're not. And there's still going to be things about God that are going to be beyond our comprehension that we cannot understand. But through creation, through his written word, through the living word, that came and lived amongst us, 
God has revealed himself to us. And so when we come and worship, we don't worship a God we do not know. We don't worship a God who has put us at arm's length, has held us back. We worship a God who welcomes us and calls us into his presence and wants us to know him and has made himself known to us. Fourthly, we worship God reverently. Now, that's kind of, there's a fine line there, isn't there? We had come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. And then we have come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. The Hebrew word for worship literally means to bow down or prostrate oneself. While there is joy and there is thanksgiving, there is also the reverence and honor. He is almighty God. The great God. The great king above all gods. We sing that song. It's not a very long song. It doesn't have a lot of words. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns with Whatever he reigns with. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, you know. Well, the, the, the part that matters, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. That's it. Okay. Our God is an awesome God. Somebody, uh, John, I guess, in the prayer was talking about the awesomeness of the storm last night. We, we sat out on, the, on, on my back porch with the three grandchildren during the storm. They were a little freaked out. And you know, it got me to thinking a little bit. What makes children, for the most part, inherently afraid of storms? What what makes them inherently afraid of thunder and lightning? Because you know, you can watch other stuff that have kind of those components to them. That doesn't bother them at all. And I don't know that maybe there's just something innate within us that just sees the awesomeness of God and just takes us back a little bit. Now, I like watching a good thunderstorm. I don't like being in a good thunderstorm, you understand. But I like sitting on my back porch and hearing the rolling thunder and listening and watching the lightning and seeing the trees blow back and forth and the rain coming down in sheets because it does remind me of the awesomeness of God. We ought to be awed and humbled By his awesome power. Hebrews 12 verse 28 tells us that we worship with reverence and awe. But not just awed by his power. But awed by his love for us. What? This same God? This God who created the world? This God who who brings down his power? 
in such dramatic instances loves me and cares about me and sent his son to die for me that ought to bring me to my knees that ought to lay me out before God because of what he has done for us awed by his accessibility that we can come into the very presence of God should bring us to our knees. Odd that he considers us, our, considers us his sheep and cares for us. Lastly, we worship, and again, I didn't know a better word, repentantly. This brings us to the part of the psalm that I think I would have preferred they left out. I think it would have been an awesome psalm if it was just verses 1 through 7 and it ended right there. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extolling with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, he made it. For his hand formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. However, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as they did that day at Massa in the desert when your fathers tried and tested me, though I'd seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, these people whose hearts go astray and they do not know my way. So I declared an oath. In my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This great psalm of worship ends with a warning. Listen and do not harden your hearts. He uses the Israelites as an example. They were stubborn. They tried and they tested God. They were ungrateful, disobedient, and unfaithful. Our worship cannot smooth over our sinful lives. We cannot go out and live our lives in disobedience and in contradiction to God's will and God's way and then come in and worship and think that that's going to just gloss over how we live our daily lives. Jesus said, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Our worship cannot be just something we do when we come together. Our worship has to exude, has to be expressed daily in our lives as we live out our lives among the people. Our worship has to be in line with how we talk and our actions and all those things. If we are truly joyful, thankful, if we truly know God and what he's done for us, if we truly are awed by him, then we must obey him. We must live like he has called us to live. Worship is not just a responsibility, but it is a privilege. So come, let us sing with joy, with thanksgiving, with knowledge, with reverence, and with repentance. For he is the rock of our salvation. And he is the great God of all gods. If we can help you this morning, we invite you to come now to stand and as we sing.
We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.